Hello, October, and hello to you. This is Full Time with Meg Linehan. I am your host, Meg Linehan, and I am a staff writer at The Athletic covering women's soccer, including the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team. Today, I am joined by Angela Hughes. We discussed what's happening with the USL, her ownership with the NWSL expansion team in Los Angeles, finding her leadership voice, and then she indulged me, of course, in some Boston Breakers and WSA memories, or WUSA if you were around uh, back in the day. All right, so we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, and Everton have advanced to the final of the FA Cup. On Thursday, we will find out if Arsenal or Manchester City join them in that match, and we do expect to see Rose Lavelle make her Man City debut. NWSL ratings dropped this past weekend for the lowest ratings of the fall series so far, with Chicago versus Washington dropping below 300,000 viewers for the first time to come in at a total of 299,000. The next two matches on TV move to CBS Sports Network, so definitely do not expect this sort of bounce back above 300K um, these next two weeks with CBSN. Definitely is on less televisions than big CBS, so just keep those expectations at a healthy level. Uh, The Matildas have found their new manager in Tony Gustafson, who U.S. Women's National Team supporters might remember from his time as an assistant coach with the team. The Australian Federation, the FFA, has locked him up through at least the 2023 World Cup, which Australia is, of course, co-hosting with New Zealand. He won't actually technically start his job until January 1st, 2021, but he may oversee a European camp for the Matildas in November, as he's actually still in Sweden himself. Here is the new coach on what he sees for the potential of Australia. Quote, I have always said that the Matildas have the potential to be one of the best teams in the world, and that is one of the reasons that I wanted to get on board with this job. I have been in the pressure cooker a lot of times and in environments that demand success. These experiences will be beneficial as we do this together with the fans, the stakeholders, the players, and the staff as a team. All right, three games for you to watch this weekend from the NWSL Fall Series. Sky Blue FC and Washington Spirit are up first. I will actually be at this game, which is going to be weird. Um, I'm actually going to bring my camera. Uh, That game is at 12.30 Eastern and will be on Twitch. Then we have some more hashtag NWSL after dark with another late Thorns match on Saturday night as they face off against the Royals at 10 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Then finally on Sunday, the Courage and the Dash get one last look at each other this fall at 7 Eastern on Twitch. All right, so before we get started with Angela, there's still a little bit more time to jump on our offer for a new subscription to The Athletic. For just $1 per month, you can have full access to all of my women's soccer coverage, all of our soccer coverage, all of the UK's football coverage, the entire site, you name it, you got it. This $1 a month is not going to last much longer. I do not have an official end date, but please know it is a limited time offer at this point. So please make sure you get on it before it's too late. Visit theathletic.com slash full time to sign up and show that you support women's soccer coverage. It only takes a minute and it only takes a dollar to start. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so Angela Hughley's earned 109 appearances with the U.S. Women's National Team, plus played professionally with the Boston Breakers in both WSA and WPS. She won two Olympic gold medals with the U.S. Women's National Team in 2004 and 2008. Her experience on the 2008 team was definitely memorable as she stepped in for an injured Abby Wambach. We talk about that coming up. Plus finished third with the national team in the 2003 and 2007 World Cups. She has served as an analyst for the 2015 and 2019 World Cups, plus the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. I've also run into her at any number of NWSL games when she has been on the call. Here is Angela. All right, Angela. So you you just told me that you are recording this from a nice little studio that you have set up in your garage. I want to talk to you about what is happening in your quarantine life? Because like, I personally am recording this podcast right at the moment. My wife is in, we live in a two bedroom or a two room New York City apartment, right? Like we are in a shoebox. She is teaching a class of college freshmen about the Bible right at the moment in the other room via Zoom while I am ensconced in the bedroom trying to like, I have a blanket over the door in an attempt to sound block. But you're you're actually now like you've got your own little home studio. So I want to I want to yeah. hear about this. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And you guys ever swap, you know, just kind of like pop in and like, you know, start teaching about the Bible. And yeah, yeah, I, you know, all those Sunday school lessons can just really come back and she can be like, I know about Megan Rapinoe (laughs) and list. (laughs) And it stops there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, you know, 2020, right? Everyone (laughs) has their own unique uh, situation. Um, Yes, I am currently with my my sunset backdrop here um, in my garage. I've got my my wife, my three year old, and my three month old uh, yeah. children in in the kitchen. This is like the the quietest place that I have. I have my 150 foot cable that I run from here to inside the house uh, to our office to connect for for game days when I'm commentating. Um, you know, ESPN sent out a, a monitor and you know all this equipment so that we could call games from home. Uh, which, to be honest, it's really incredible, the, the pivot and the shift that, um, you know, everyone, everyone really are doing right now. Um, and then when you talk about just the ability to start to call games again, um, right. you know, I, feel, I feel very, um, very appreciative, though, because I know this isn't a situation for everyone. Um, so I'm grateful to be able to get back in it, to, um, to have that opportunity to, to have the excitement again with this fall season. Um, and then Obviously, we're we're watching uh, professional and international soccer as well right now. So it's it's great to have all of this activity. Right, right. In terms of your commentary, I mean, obviously you've worked World Cups, right? Um, what is calling a game remotely like as opposed to? I feel like you've done both before, right? Even before the right. pandemic, in terms of calling games remotely, what is the adjustment like in trying to get a sense of a game from a distance? You know, I, I actually feel fortunate because the first time I ever called a match was off tube, um, you know, off the screen, is, mm-hmm. uh, 
know, in the 2012 Olympics uh, with NBC. And so that was pretty much my introduction to calling a game. And uh, that's essentially what I got used to. So it was actually more of an adjustment for me to go and be on site at a field to call a game. And, and where, where am I looking? Am I looking at the field? Am I looking at the, the tube? You know, um, so for me, it's actually a little bit more uh, normal to call a game, um, you know, off, off the screen. I mean, you definitely lose the the energy and the atmosphere. Um, I just called a couple of LAFC games um, as well. And, you know, although they don't have any fans in the stadium, you know, just to be in that environment again, to, you know, literally feel a little bit of the breeze on your face um, and, and to see the grass, uh, you know, it's just, it's different. Um, but again, we're all making do with, with the situation that we have. Right. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to the Sky Blue game this upcoming weekend. And I put in for the press credential and I like rented my zip car. And I was like, this feels so I remember doing this, I guess this is what I actually do for a living. That's right. Yeah. Okay, like I have to like mentally get back to the concept of oh, I'm going to see a game in yeah. person after covering an entire tournament and then the fall series from a distance, which and everything, you know, all the player availabilities and, and coach availabilities over Zoom, which I'm sure you are also you know, like all the coaches calls that you have to go through in order to prep for a game, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think the, the Zoom, and of course, nothing's over the phone anymore. Um, right. Zoom, like <laughs> we did coaches calls on, on the phone before, but now we're doing it over <laughs> Zoom. So, I mean, clearly we've, we've all shifted in that, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how is it for you? I mean, going and, and feeling I mean, you're doing this old thing, but it's in a new situation too. Right, right. right. And it was funny because I actually, I put in for a photo credential. And so Sky Blue's PR person was like, are you sure you want a photo one? And I was like, well, there's no access. I might as well multitask and get some photos out of it. Like this is actually what I started my my career as, right? Is I, I got my little uh, unpaid gig at Equalizer taking photos. So I was like, you know, I, I hauled my camera around France for 30 days last summer. Like I might as well get some photos out of it. Of it but yeah it is it is really weird to start wrapping my because the last game I was at was at um she believes cup okay wow. um, yeah yeah so it's been <laughs> this is my first and like two I'm getting two NWSL games for the entire year which is much much less than I usually would so it is it is really really interesting but the last time you and I talked um you know, you'd kind of sent me this message to be like, hey, I, I have something to tell you. <laughs> can I can I hop on the phone with you? And um, I did want to get an update on this front, but USL had reached out to you to to lead some of their, you know, thoughts on, on the women's soccer space. And it does kind of seem like this is, you know, again, 2020 has has shifted a lot of plans. But where where is USL? Where are you at on this uh, standpoint? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that was the last time we, uh, we officially <laughs> spoke, um, but, and, and a lot has changed since then. And uh, the USL brought me on as a strategic consultant for women's soccer. And uh, we were really looking at, you know, developing um, the youth landscape uh, and what the potential for the future of, of women's soccer uh, really had and looking at the opportunities that existed. Um, as of, of March, when um, everything really took um, uh, COVID hit full force, uh, I was relieved of, of those duties. Um, you know, everything took a pause, you know, as a consultant and, and especially not as a full-time employee of USL. Um, you know, I 
I took that pause uh, along with uh, other consultants and some some of their staff. Um, and so, you know, I think not only has um, have things changed, you know, obviously with the sports landscape, I think, you know, looking at even the NWSL, um, I think the NWSL ironically is in a much better situation uh, than they were even when I came on board with, with the USL. Um, Lisa Baird was not there as a commissioner. Right. Um, and I've been so impressed with the work that she's done, you know, taking this job um, right before, you know, yeah. where she had to shut everything down with NWSL and, and how she's navigated and how um, she and the league were the very first to introduce the bubble um, to bring professional sports back in our country. And so, um, you know, while, while things definitely have, have changed for me and, and my involvement with the USL, things have changed even in the short period of time for the NWSL as well. Um, and I do think that there are, are still opportunities to expand and to grow within the women's game. I mean, we're seeing, you know, players obviously due to circumstances this year, but a lot more players looking to play internationally, um, looking to find more opportunities uh, to, to have longer periods of time that they can play at a high level. Uh, and, and, in, and by doing that, you know, that just opens up more opportunities for younger players for, um, you know, for that growth and expansion, you know, opening up uh, spots on rosters, opening up uh, development um, programs as well. So, you know, I, I still think that the future is extremely bright for women's sports. And, you know, I, I know a lot of us weren't sure um, mm -hmm. that we'd even be able to say that right now <laughs> into, you know, a COVID time. I think that I, I know I thought completely opposite. I thought this could be extremely detrimental uh, for, for the women's game and for women's soccer um, specifically. But I'm so happy that uh, things have, have turned around in a positive light. Right. Now, you also you brought up expansion. You are involved at a pretty high level with an expansion team. Could you explain to folks who might not, you know, the, the list for Angel City? I remember when I got like the the release said to me the night before that. And I was just like, I just kept reading names and being like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. OK. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really I just wanted to join to meet all these people. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited to uh, be one of the the founders and investors of Angel City FC, the the newest NWSL expansion team. Um, and excited for so many reasons. One, it's expansion, right? It's growth. It's it's the opportunity uh, that people see in the sport and in the game um, to have professional women's soccer back in Los Angeles. It's been so long since uh, the city has seen a professional high-level women's soccer team um, and, and had the ability to go in person uh, to go and see a, a team of this caliber on, on the women's side. So for that reason, I'm excited um, and definitely excited, as you as you alluded to, all the different uh, members of this ownership group. Um, I'm a part of, uh, you know, 11 other former U.S. women's national team players, um, you know, with ties to the Southern California area and you know, to be a part of, of that group is, is truly just, I think, very unique and very mm -hmm. special. It's unique to be a former player and to now have an ownership in a professional women's team. Um, and then when you look at the other uh, members across so many different industries, right, the entertainment, tech, sports, I mean, you know, you name it. And to have that diverse group, um, diverse thought, backgrounds, 
so many different perspectives. We actually just had our first uh, quarterly um, owners meeting um, this past Friday and everybody jumped on a Zoom call and, you know, um, I'm sure people were taking screenshots to get <laughs> there, but, um, you know, it just, it's just awesome because people are so passionate about it and people believe in this and also to be able to approach the formation of this, this club and the, the business side of it in a very different way. Um, you know, when you have someone like Julie Ehrman, who's got a tech background, Alexis Ohanian, you know, with that tech background, um, you know, Kara Nortman with the VC background. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the merge, it's so powerful. Um, and to be able to look at sports in a truly special and different, unique way, I think will help uh, the longevity of this team, the success of this team, and then ho- hopefully and ultimately provide a, a different roadmap for other uh, teams to, to follow. Yeah. In terms of the the players being involved too, I think it's so interesting. And I feel like I've read from a number of the former players of just being like, I never thought that this was necessarily going to be a thing that I would potentially do, right? Like after retiring, like there's not necessarily this thought of like, oh, at some point down the line, I could buy into a professional team myself. So what was it like actually like opening up that email and being like, oh, this is actually within the realm of possibility? Yeah. I mean, I think much like everyone else in in that, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you don't know a possibility exists until it happens almost. And it's one of those things I think also that you can see it being a a natural opportunity as it's evolved, but not necessarily something that you can, can look in the future to. Um, And I, and I say that in comparison to even me playing professional soccer, I mean, professional women's soccer, we didn't have a professional women's league in our country. You know, when I was first introduced to the sport as a seven-year-old with pigtails and loving orange slices at halftime, right? Just loving the (laughs) the sport. And then all the way until college, like literally I was in my senior year, my last year at UVA, when talks of this first professional sports or soccer league, the WSA was going to start. So playing my entire collegiate career without having that dream, um, you know, I could have gone internationally to play, but, but having it in our country, just being, um, so unique to, to the United States and having that special opportunity, I mean, that didn't exist. So, you know, when you look at, you know, a former female professional soccer player, having an ownership group, especially in another women's pro team and club, you know, I think that's, it's very similar. Um, you know, you, you hope something like that exists, but you don't necessarily have anything tangible to, to really see um, mm-hmm. until, until it really happens because you are one of the, one of the first doing it. Right. The other part of Angel City that I find really interesting and I, you know, obviously covering the launch of the team, but also in an article that I'm I'm slowly working on. But, you know, there is obviously diversity of thought, right? Like these are not necessarily soccer people that we have traditionally seen enter this space, you know, like an MLS back team coming in, right, who already kind of have that okay, I can run a team. I know what it's like in a men's league. I can kind of like figure out and and do it on the NWSL side. But, you know, NWSL ownership is largely white and male. And then to have women come in, but also black women and Latino women, like, what? I know, right? Like, (laughs) who knew it was possible? (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I'm just, you know, I feel like Angel City has been very intentional at at thinking about this, but I'm, I'm just wondering what your personal take on 
actually having maybe, you know, and also like former players who are black, right? Like there are multiple viewpoints that are helpful that could help propel the league in a new and interesting direction. And that is not to like take anything away from the white men who have obviously invested a lot of money and been advocates for this game. But there is also, you know, like we're still kind of like here and we could, we could potentially like open up (laughs) so much more. Like there's still this whole brand new world kind of waiting to happen, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think you, you really hit it there because you know, we've reached a certain level. And, and I think by opening it up in the way that Angel City really has, it opens that opportunity for so much more, right? And I mean, I'm not going to go into the statistics and research of, of how having, um, you know, female majority backed investment funds, how successful they are, or, you know, and any other like female majority and, mm-hmm. and how that's great right. for the community and society, because the stats are there and the research is there to, to prove that and show that. But it's now that not only is there just one seat, but there are multiple seats at the table for people of color, for women, for LGBT. I mean, like, you know, when, when you talk about me individually, I like am like the one stop shop for everybody. So, <laughs> you know, I, I check out the boxes for all of those groups. But, you know, I think it also allows the space for voices to be heard in a different way. Um, You know, when I've experienced being parts of um, different groups where it's male majority or white majority, and I'm, you know, one of the only people who look like me, um, sometimes it's hard to one, speak up. And then secondly, you know, be heard in a way that it's, it's understood to then use that knowledge to do something differently um, and see that not as a threat, but, you know, maybe an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so by having such an eclectic and diverse group, it, it just allows and opens up that space for everyone to say something and everyone to value that. Um, and, and I think that's what, you know, I feel is truly special. Right. I mean, that was something I remember. So my coworker, Paul Tenorio spoke to you for the story. It was right as kind of the shift was happening with us soccer as Carlos Cordero is going out the door, Cindy Parlocone is, is stepping up to um, act as president. And you were on the Athletes Council, and, and you also posted this on Instagram, right, about being the only in a room, right? Like the only woman or the only, the only Black person, the only Latinx person, the only LGBTQ person in a room, and having that discomfort and, and knowing that you're not being heard. Yeah. And I just remember Paul texting me that night and being like, Angela Hughley's like the stuff that she said is going to sit with me a really long time. And he like sent me the transcript. I read it and I was just like, this is going to be something where, you know, in all of these discussions about U.S. soccer, but it's 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 so much. It's like American. It's the yeah. entire American <laughs> landscape. Right. It's not just U.S. soccer and it's not. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just the the slow culture shift. Right is not this kind of like, oh, we've changed one person and now it's magically cured, right? Like, how do we actually get people to listen and shift the way they think and not be defensive about it? Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, like one of the things that you had said was, I'm not going to run again for Athletes Council. I need to find a leadership voice outside of this. And I'm, I'm curious to see if you have figured out, you know, have you found that space now? You know, it's a, I mean, it's it's a great question um, because I think it's 
it's a work in progress and it's, it's an evolution um, mm -hmm. as well. I think in part um, joining Angel City FC is part of that. Um, you know, to be an owner in the league is a different voice than um, you know, being on the board of, U of U.S. soccer. Um, and, and the ability to, to shift and to um, make change. And, and I also think to directly more, uh, feeling like I can more directly impact players, which I mm -hmm. think for me is, um, is my sweet spot and what I really um, am passionate about um, and, and helping the athletes themselves. I think, you know, this opportunity as an owner gives me a little bit more of that voice. Um, and I think with that post too, like that was, there were, it was kind of multi-layered whether people picked up on it or not. Um, you know, for me, that was a little bit being vulnerable too and acknowledging my own um, responsibility in everything U.S. soccer and, um, you know, and the, the roles and the positions that I did hold with the Athletes Council with U.S. Soccer Federation board. And, um, you know, my feelings of, um, you know, not necessarily voicing in the way that mm -hmm. I could have or should have, um, you know, maybe remaining silent in some spaces that I probably should have spoken up or taken different action. Um, and for me, putting that post, it was, you know, me saying, like, I take, I take responsibility for the action or inaction um, in, in my past. Um, but the vulnerability was that saying that that was hard for me to do because I was the only. And, and right. the, the, then the challenge is how can we support people who are in those positions that maybe have a little bit more of the privilege or have a little bit more of the voice to support someone else who doesn't necessarily have their voice yet in that environment to be able to speak up. Um, you know, when we talk about race issues, it's not about black people, you know, speaking up about things. It's about, you know, non-black people speaking up about things. When we talk about LGBTQ people, it's about, you know, the non-LGBTQ <laughs> speaking up. So when we talk about gender issues, we need the men. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, we need the majority to really take hold of these issues. And, and, and that's what you're talking about too. Like, how can we get people to uh, not sympathize, but empathize, right? right. And to come from a place of understanding if they have not walked in someone else's shoes, um, but just kind of open up those spaces to at least have a conversation without being defensive, but to come from a place of wanting to learn and grow because all of us have, you know, that capability and, you know, it's, it's a constant evolution. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm still finding those opportunities. And I think right now I'm, I'm definitely being more selective of, where, where I choose to be. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely felt a little bit stuck, you know, in my role with the athlete council and, and the U.S. soccer board. And, um, and I actually remember having a conversation with a former U.S. national teamer, how I remain nameless just in case she doesn't <laughs> want to be uh, called out. But, you know, I asked, I was like, why don't you run for president or, you know, join the board or, and this was like before I was even a part of it. Um, and she's, she told me, she's like, I can get more done outside of those spaces than, uh, within those spaces. And um, I think going through it myself, I understood what she meant by that. So, yeah. Right. All right. We will be right back with Angela Hughley's after this. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of work to be done. I think one of the overriding themes that I've realized too, is that this kind of work is also, you know, like 
obviously Carlos Cordero leaving the Federation got a lot of headlines, right? And and deservedly so. But also the work to figure out how to get better is not nearly as glamorous or as headline inducing or, you know, like, so it's that, <laughs> where, where are those conversations being had? Are they public? Are they, you know, like I, I get to now as a media member also sit through U.S. soccer board meetings, the public version. And as I was joking with Lori Lindsay last week on this podcast, I was like, you know, people really think that they want to sit through those. They don't. <laughs> Nobody wants to, right? <laughs> right. But like, what, what are we able to glean from, you know, people with power and what they are willing to share publicly and figure out like, what is the actual work? Like even knowing, you know, like within the athletic, right. Of like, what are the conversations that are happening publicly versus what's happening privately versus what the work that, you know, I'm, I'm having in a conversation via WhatsApp with someone that will never see the light of day, but might actually result in something, right? Like there's so many layers to it. And that's the part that is so hard to like, get our hands around as a as a cute story that we can tell that has a start and a finish and everything so yeah but I mean that's important that's that's the importance of what I'll call influencers right I'm not talking like the YouTube influencers I'm talking about (laughs) you know those people who are behind the scenes who might not be in a position like yourself who you know has the medium that you do um but having those conversations with people who can influence right and and those are just as important as the people who are holding those titles as well. So, I mean, again, this is, this is a team effort for sure, you know, right. and everybody has a role to play. All right. So on a, on a smaller scale, you know, you were, you were speaking about leadership and I'm, I'm curious, I know that you've got this other thing that, that you've got going on in terms of actually trying to figure out how to help uh, probably like younger than the next generation, right? Who could potentially step up and maybe if you could let folks know what, what you're working on right now. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, my wife and I, uh, Meg, she was a sports dietitian and functional nutritionist and, uh, was the team nutritionist for the LA Clippers for about seven seasons. Um, she actually worked with the U S men's and women's national teams, soccer teams and Qatar and Mexican national teams. Um, and so we basically teamed up to form an online sports nutrition and leadership program called Feeling Dynamic Leaders. Um, and we're, we're just excited to get it out there because, you know, thinking about what would have really helped me, um, you know, get through junior high, high school, prepare me for college, you know, once I was in college. And then also as a professional athlete, um, I tease Meg that she, if I met her sooner, I probably would have had like five more years put on my career, <laughs> you know, just with the things that I've learned from her. Um, but it's uh, it's an online program. It has six modules of video content. We have um, bonus videos in there with uh, some celebrity guests. One, one of those, uh, including uh, dear friend Lindsay Tarpley, um, who talks about sweat cosmetics and you know her going from athlete to entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and we accompany it with a training guide for coaches or trainers or parents to really use and take a team or a group of athletes through. Um, and individuals can take it as well um, and kind of go through the program. And, and really it's talking about, you know, how do you become the complete athlete? You know, we talk about the technical side and the tactical side, which, you know, most coaches are going to get their players you know, up to speed with that. But, you know, what are the other elements, like the psychological components, the mental toughness, the leadership capabilities, how you can, you know, 
not just be a good teammate, but really identify situations where you need to step up and maybe do something different uh, than you're able to do in the past, just based off your comfort level. Um, and then how do you use food and hydration to fuel yourself, to prepare for practices, to compete, but also for recovery as well. Um, so we just hosted a, a webinar yesterday, actually, and, and Jordan Angeli hosted yeah. and moderated it. And, um, you know, we talked about her and the ACL club that she formed, um, you know, and, and how uh, ACL injuries are impacted, but, you know, know how you could actually use nutrition and sports nutrition specifically to help prevent some of these injuries that we see happen so frequently. So, um, yeah, so it's feelingdynamicleaders.com. And, um, honestly, we're just so excited to be able to try to help give back from, from the things that we've learned over literally like 30 years of uh, sports participation <laughs> and, and knowledge, um, and put it to good use. Yeah. How, what are you leaning from, from your own soccer career in terms of leadership stuff? I mean, I do, I very much want to, you're one of the few people I can really be like, I'm going to talk to you about the Boston Breakers and we're going to get there in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are you, what do you, you know, I I think about like how you kind of got your shot at the 2008 Olympics, right? Like in terms of having to take advantage of a moment that you weren't necessarily expecting and also being put in a completely new position right is yeah. is something like that is a, an experience that you're pulling from for this little academy essentially absolutely and i think um there are a couple things with that when you look at where we are right now right 2020 we just everyone knows what that means yep um, <laughs> you know i honestly believe that athletes are probably the best equipped to deal with this year than anyone else you know maybe military as well um but it's because of of what you do day in and day out as an athlete, you know, how you train, how you prepare for adversity and prepare for the unknown, right? Nobody knows what the future is going to hold. No one could have expected this year, but no one knows necessarily what to expect, you know, a year from now. But as an athlete, you basically are trained, you know, to build up this mental muscle, right? And, you know, for me, it was very similar um, with what happened in 2008. You know, obviously, you know the story, but just going from losing Abby Wambach and literally the game before we're flying over to China <laughs> for the Olympics, you know, my role completely shifted. You know, we, we lose our leading goal scorer, but, you know, I go from the bench to a starter, uh, you know, in the Olympics. I go from a midfielder to a forward in the Olympics, right? And I was ready for that because of the choices and the decisions that I made leading up to that moment and also the tools and the support and the guidance that I had in place, you know, from, from my teammates, from the coaches, the staff, you know, from everyone else to help get me to the position to be ready for something that was unknown. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely something that, that we talk about with leadership and, you know, what are the tools that we can help really help you build as an athlete, you know, and, and that's what we do with this program so that you're coming out with, your individual toolkit, you know, for nutrition, for leadership, but how can you build that and identify your strengths, you know, and the things that you can work on to be a better individual, right? Uh, Not just an athlete, but individual person, Um, an athlete, a teammate, uh, a daughter, a son, but these are the things that are going to help you in life. These are life skills. So it will help you now, but then it will sustain you for, for the long run as well. Right. All right, this is this is my fun part. I I have what's great is I actually finally decorated the space up above my desk and I actually have 
the pennant from the WSA inaugural championship game, Founders Cup, <laughs> that I have had since August 25th, 2001 above my desk. Um, it has just like moved from apartment to apartment with me. <laughs> For the Boston Breaker, it just WSA in general, you know, it is really interesting for me as someone who that was my first like gig in yeah. women's soccer, right? Like I was an intern for the Boston Breakers. I was in the press box. I remember going down to like get rosters from the locker rooms and just like the fact that they allowed this high school student to like <laughs> do things is still like that's the joy of women's soccer though, right? Like you need you need a high school student who can like write in HTML to update the website in real time. Um, what what are your memories like of that time span? Because the WSA just has such a different feel. And maybe for me, it's like also this like weird nostalgia creeping in, but like the scale always felt so different. Like walking into Nickerson for, for Boston Breakers games, like that entire alleyway, like turned into a fan zone, right? Like there was just like pomp and circumstance around it. And like, we get it now a little bit in the NWSL, like eight years into the league, but WSA was just such a different concept from the, from the jump. And I'm, I'm just so, I, I don't frequently get to talk to people who are there from the beginning and, and who have this very different memory of it as a as a player so let's let's talk breakers for a minute yeah i know i love that we have the breakers connection because you're right it's like not not many people have that first and foremost especially right. you know we'll see what the future holds with any other boston team but um I, I mean i really do feel so nostalgic about the wsa and and i find that with players that were there too that i've talked to um uh, staff, you know, that I'm still connected with, you know, I still have those connections from Boston breakers days and mm -hmm. um, the WSA specifically. And I think it, it's also a large in large part due to being the first, right. Being the first women's pro league, um, you know, of its kind in, in the States. And I mean, we were finding out what it meant to get drafted and then get <laughs> traded after like, what? Like I thought I was playing for this team, but now I can go and you can trade me for this other team. And, right. you know, it was the first time we as at least female soccer players experienced anything like that. You know, now it's, it, it's professional, professional. Right. And I think mm -hmm. it was almost, and I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to say this in like a negative in terms of the quality, but I mean, the game has definitely grown and shifted and, gotten so much better but it was almost like an amateur professional it was like the first one so obviously so much to learn from that but um but i think it's almost how people are um so so enamored with college sports you know and, and certain sports in particular versus the professional sport of its kind um because of that that quality you know um that um that almost youthful, energetic, um, you know, level that, that the WSA really had. And it was a first for all of us, you know, we were all experiencing something together uh, that was very special and unique uh, for the first time. And I think that's part of the, the bond and the tie that we can all share with that. No matter, you know, if you're a player, if you're an intern, if, you know, you were a GM, if you're a coach, like we were all experiencing this league and, and trying to help get it off the ground together and trying to help see women's soccer, you know, really get put on the map um, after the 99 women's world cup, you know, and I think 
we all felt a level of uh, responsibility of that, but we felt a little level of ownership within that. And I think that's so different than um, any of the, the women's pro leagues that have, you know, come after that because it wasn't the first, um, you know, people were coming from different, different experiences, you know, they've had a professional experience um, or you're a college player and you see that there's a professional right. that exists, you know? So I think that it was just such a unique time and space for women's professional soccer that, you know, it's easy to hold on to that nostalgia and, and be connected through it as well. Is there any part of the WSA experience just in terms of like, I mean, I think about everything that like Julie Foudy has said about trying to get WSA off the ground as players, right? And now it is kind of fun to think about like, okay, you're there at the start of this first professional league and now you're coming at Angel City, right? With all of this knowledge, right? Of of having gone through multiple professional leagues, of going through the national team. Is there anything, you know, and and it's so funny to me because I feel like people are very obsessed with saying like, NWSL is the third professional league and the other two have failed after, right? Like, you know, we finally got past the third year in NWSL. So like we got past that kind of like narrative that everyone had to hit in any sort of general NWSL story. But I do think that there are still some lessons to learn from WSA. And I think for me, the big one that I always think about is just like, there was so much ambition, right? There was so much like, we are here, like, First of all, I feel like the fun level was very amped. <laughs> Sometimes maybe a little too much. You're part of the Boston Breakers. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> but like, it was always just kind of like, it felt like there was really like a reach for like, we have a national ambition of like, we are here and we are going to grab you and we are going to prove to you that we are entertaining. And I think that the NWSL is finally kind of embrace that a little bit more but it it feels like you know when it when you look at the angel city launch for instance like there is that same level of ambition of just like we are gonna be here and we are gonna slap you in the face with some soccer <laughs> whether you like it or not yeah. and i'm just you know like between you found it like all of these people who are kind of around for this era is there anything in the back of your brain going like oh man like this is kind of we're seeing echoes of this now in 2020 yeah. Well, you know, I think there are a couple things in, in that. Um, one, I think we've earned the right. You know, I think we've earned the right to be able to kind of like, as you say, slap <laughs> you in the face with this and say, we're here. This is what we're going to do. This is These are the ambitions that we have. And no, they're not too lofty. Um, and I think we can say that because of, you know, having those first two le- leagues and having the learnings from them um, and having the sustained success that the U.S. women's national team has had. Um and the quality of players that, you know, we're seeing coming out of the collegiate space, um, you know, and continuing to see how this woman's game is growing. Um, I definitely think there, there were elements of a lot of fun in the WSA and, you know, it's like, Ooh, college soccer without the school, you know, like, (laughs) so I think we've, I think we've grown. I think we've professionalized even more since then. Um, And I think that there now is that opportunity for, a female soccer player to say, I can make a business and a career out of this versus saying I can continue to play soccer, you know, at a high level um, and get paid for it. You know, it's, it's a different mentality. Uh, the players are treating it differently. And, and I think, you know, that's part of what I see, you know, in, in a 
kind of more general sense from where we first started in professional soccer here in our country to where we are now. Um, and yes, I think just having the balance of, you know, when you look specifically at Angel City, um, you know, the mix and merge of soccer players and people who know the game um, have been around, you know, the players, the the coaches, the staff, like kind of knowing all of that historical knowledge. Um, and then the business minds, I think having such a great merge of the two is, is definitely a, a great combo to have, you know, not mm -hmm. just having soccer people in business positions, um, not just having business people in soccer roles, you know, but really having the, the best of both. Um, and, and I think that's also another kind of sweet spot that Angel City FC has. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely been a lot of growth in a variety of ways since, since WUSA um, to now, but I, I do think we've earned the right to, um, to, to be confident and, and stand with our chest, you know, out a little bit as well. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you for letting me walk down <laughs> the, the memory lane of walking into Nickerson Field in my uh, large adult Adidas polo with the Boston Breakers logo that I still have that I never, I don't fit in at all still as a grown adult, still too big. So yeah. All right. Well, please, um, if you could let people know where they should look for you, whether it's commentary, your your leadership uh, efforts, Twitter, wherever you would like people to track you down, let them know. Yeah, yeah. Um, easy to find on on social uh, at Angela Heakley is pretty much for for anything. Um, FeelingDynamicLeaders.com for for sports nutrition and leadership programming and education. Uh, and yeah, I'll be continuing from my my garage, my at home garage set here. Uh, calling some games for ESPN, college soccer, ACC, um, more specifically in some SEC men's and women's games. Nice. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time. I will continue to keep an eye on your Instagram and, and see all of your really adorable photos of your children, which are always delightful to see. They are both very, very adorable. Your son is literally like, I just want to be like, hello. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, a new person. Yay, yay. Thank you for playing with me. And thank you for all the the work that you do. Um, I, I love seeing your story and I want your story shared out there more from literally your time as a high schooler from Boston Bears <laughs> to where you are now. And no one else has the ridiculous journey in women's soccer. My gosh, I, do. I love is, it. I can't wait yeah. for your book. And and honestly, thank you because, um, you know, people literally asking you, I love watching the, the comments that come through with people <laughs> asking you, like, you were like Oz of soccer. People think you have the information for everything, which you I mean, you kind of do, but um, it yeah. makes sense. So thanks yeah. for all that you do. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again for your time. I super appreciate it. And this is, I, I just love talking to an OG of the game. That's always, that's, that's one of my favorite things to do. Love it. Thanks, Meg. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you to Angela for her time. I feel like once soccer is really back and we can all travel again and go to games and, you know, like be normal, quote unquote, at least when it comes to sports, it's not really soccer again until I run into Angela for the first time. I just never really know where I'm going to see her. I've seen her at U.S. Women's National Team games. I've seen her at NWSL games. Soccer is back when Angela Hikulis and I see each other for the first time. All right, one more thing for you. The WNBA finals are set between the Storm and the Aces. Make sure you are following the Athletics WNBA vertical. Again, that $1 per month that will get you all of our WNBA coverage. You can also follow 
at the Athletic WNBA on Twitter for all of the latest. Game one is Friday, October 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. We could have a winner of this series by the next episode. So before that happens, let me know who you think is taking it all in the wobble on Twitter. You know where to find me. That's it for this week's episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. I will be back with you as always next week. If you don't already subscribe to this podcast, you can do that at all of the usual podcast places, including Apple, Spotify, and The Athletic itself. We are generally ad-free on The Athletic if that is a factor for you. Also, if you do have five extra minutes, your ratings and reviews on Apple are huge help for this podcast so more people can find the show. Again, I read them all. They are all always extremely kind, and I appreciate you all. Uh, Also, your reminder from the top of the show, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic already, you are getting NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team and U.K. Women's Football coverage, and as I just told you, WNBA coverage, plus everything else we have to offer, all for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash full-time. You can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 